ETL Echo presents Tea and No Sympathy by Hula Hoop. Chapter 6 The next time the time resets, Draco feels actually sort of cheerful. The previous day had, to his surprise, been almost entertaining. His good mood wavers when he remembers that Potter won't remember it, but flinging the habitual blanket over the time-turner to cover up its annoying glow, he suppresses the thought. The more cracks he gets at this, at befriending Potter, at getting him to open up, the more successful he'll become at it. It should be useful, no matter the outcome. He goes downstairs for breakfast as usual, still mulling things over. "'Good morning, dear,' his mother says, also as usual, setting her paper aside and looking at him with sympathy. "'Are you nervous about your speech?' Draco sits down and spreads a napkin on his knees, while his mother pours him a cup of tea and summons a house elf. "'No,' he says, and means it. "'Not at all.' "'But,' he adds, since he's never broached it with his mother before, do you think father would be especially angry if I decided not to give my speech today after all, though? His mother's look of sympathy deepens into one of concern. Are you not well? she says, and she rises and paces over to him, putting a cool palm on his forehead. You do feel a little warm. I'll fetch you a pepper-up potion after breakfast. No, mother, Draco says hastily. I'm fine, it's just... His mother bends and presses a kiss to his forehead. I think you're nervous, dear and you'll only be letting yourself down if you don't go ahead and give your speech. You've been planning it for months. She frowns at him, as if she can see disagreement in his face. Though, if you truly don't want to give it, I'll speak to your father. Your happiness is our main concern, Draco. Nothing is more important to us than that. Well, Draco hadn't been feeling guilty about the thought of bunking off from his speech before, but now the guilt hits him like the Hogwarts Express at full speed. I'll be fine, he says quickly. I'll be fine. His mother gives him another kiss and then returns to her seat. Be brave, Draco. It'll be over soon, and think how proud your father will be of you. Draco tries not to squirm, and he escapes from the dining room as soon as he's able. He knows that by this time tomorrow the conversation with his mother will have been wiped from history, but he still feels honor-bound to make a speech today, even if it's not the speech. In a sulk, he sits down on his bed. This was not the way he wished to start the day, and he'd been feeling so optimistic before. He casts around for something to cheer himself up again. The idea of letting off a large quantity of filibuster fireworks in the Lord's chamber briefly amuses him, but he dismisses it as too childish. He quickly showers and dresses, and as he smooths down the fine fabric of his robes, tugging at them to get the lines falling perfectly, he remembers the day before, and the way the little owl he'd intended to give to Potter had sat on his shoulder. He smiles. It was certainly no respecter of his dignity. A thought strikes him. He could go back to the magical menagerie and buy it again. He's barely processed the thought when he's apparating with intent, and he lands directly outside the shop, which is just opening for the day. He dithers for a moment, curiously nervous, but it's these nerves that make him stride in, moving directly to the back of the shop where the owls are kept. He doesn't want to be nervous about whether an owl will like him or not. The idea strikes him as ridiculous. He's just looking up at the owl's cage when the owner sidles up to him with an unctuous greeting, but he barely notices the man, because the little owl is looking down at him with wide, amazed eyes, and Draco would swear on his life that the bird recognizes him. "'I'll take that one,' he says to the owner, and the bird flies in a tight, dizzying circle around its cage in unparalleled glee, hooting like mad. It might, Draco thinks, as well be saying, "'Yay! Yay! 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 Yay!' "'Thank you, sir!' 
the elderly owner rasps, looking bewildered but pleased at such an easy sale. That will be. Draco presses fifteen galleons into the man's hand, swishes his wand to unlock the bird's cage, and it flies out and lands, with hoots of joy, on the top of his head. For a moment, Draco and the proprietor look at each other, and then Draco, with unshakable dignity, walks out of the shop with the bird still on his head. A camera flashes, and Draco knows he's been papped, but he grins. It doesn't matter, because the resulting photo will never be published, and it dawns on him that for once he has the upper hand where the media are concerned. Draco can't decide where to apparate to next. Home? Straight to the Houses of Parliament? But he has to go somewhere, because he's attracting attention. So he reaches up, and when the little owl hops obligingly onto his finger, he clasps it to his chest and thinks, determinedly, of the park near Potter's house, and steps with deliberation into the blackness between the two locations. The owl seems unmoved by the whole experience when they arrive, and Draco, shaking his head to clear it from the journey, releases his grip on it. It flies off, but only a short distance, to sit on the arm of a wooden bench. Draco joins it, sitting down, and it hops on to his knee, regarding him in a knowing way at least as knowing as an owl can be. He can't think why the little creature might remember him, and perhaps it doesn't, but... The little owl hoots impatiently and pecks at Draco's pocket. Draco pushes it off, but it gives him an indignant look and goes back to pecking. All right, all right, Draco protests, rummaging around to see what it is that the owl is obviously interested in. There's not much in his pocket, just the notes for his speech, along with a few spare bits of paper and a self-inking quill. He draws them out, and the owl looks smug. Yes, I have to give a speech, so what? Draco says, aware he's talking to an owl. The owl rolls its enormous eyes and pecks at a blank piece of paper. Oh, Draco says, you want to deliver a note for me? The little owl gives a joyful bounce and stands to attention, quivering with excitement. Draco thinks it would be cruel to deny it, but who the fuck should he write to? His mother? Ow! Draco says as the owl digs its claws into his leg and he glares at it. The owl looks back innocently. It really is fucking minuscule, Draco thinks, and he wonders how on earth it managed to get from Potter's South London home to Wiltshire yesterday without its wings dropping off. And then he sent it back, on a return journey without even thinking. He knows that post-owls are imbued with magic to give them extra speed and stamina, but even so. It strikes him that he's not in Wiltshire right now, though, and Potter lives only a few minutes walk away. The owl could be there and back in no time at all. It takes him twenty minutes of dithering, though, to pen a simple note to Potter with the little owl helping by standing on the paper and jogging his arm every time he tries to write, leaving a trail of ink blots. He can't decide between formal, Dear Potter, would you like to do something with me post today's event? Yours, D. Malfoy. Semi-formal, Dear Potter, want to go out after the event? From D. Malfoy. Or just plain informal, Potter. Want to go out and get pissed after the tedium is over? Malfoy. In the end, he decides he's overthinking it and screws up the notes into a ball. He doesn't need to owl potter. The little owl can just lump it. But, just as he's about to chuck the ball of paper into a rubbish bin close to the bench, the little owl hoots and dive-bombs the ball, grasping it in its claws, and flaps off. Draco watches in slow-motion horror as the owl, just meters away now, drops the ball into an extremely perplexed-looking Harry Potter's hands, and then flies back to him to rest cheerfully on his shoulder. He is officially an idiot. How could he have forgotten that every morning Potter goes for a run in the very park in which he's now sitting? Potter, who's stopped running now, looks at the ball of paper in his hands and then looks over at Draco. Draco isn't sure whether to Accio or Expelliarmus the incriminating ball, which would be a more appropriate spell. 
but by the time he's decided on Accio, he might as well have Accioed Potter, because he's already approaching the bench. He hasn't, Draco notes, made any attempt to flatten out the paper and read what's written there. When Potter reaches the bench, he sits, a little awkwardly, and tosses the paper to Draco. Uh, this is yours, I think? Draco, without comment, vanishes the ball and then considers vanishing Potter, too. So, Potter says, This isn't how it looks, Potter, Draco says hastily. Potter gives him a meaningful look. You mean, although it looks like you're sitting in my local park, waiting for me, writing me angry notes you then screw up, it's actually something entirely different? He doesn't wait for Draco to answer before adding, How did you know I'd be here, anyway? Draco considers what will make him look the least stalkerish. Granger told me, he says, taking a wild stab at something plausible. It's more plausible than Weasley telling him, at any rate. I wish you'd stop meddling, Potter says inexplicably with some heat. Draco tries not to gape. Potter bought it. He only went and bloody bought it. I talked to her in confidence, and she... Potter breaks off. He's red in the face, but it could be just from the run. Oh? Draco says, attempting nonchalance. Potter, alas, doesn't take the bait. Anyway, he continues, as if Draco hadn't spoken, I'm still waiting for your explanation of what you're actually doing here. Coincidence, Draco says firmly, forgetting about his Granger excuse. Potter snorts. I mean, Draco amends. Forget it, Malfoy, Potter says, rising. Draco leaps up, dislodging the little owl, which makes a noise of protest and settles once more on the top of his head. No, wait, Draco says. Potter waits, and although his expression is still wary, his lips start to twitch. It must be hard, Draco thinks, to maintain an arse face when you're confronted by a man with an owl on his head. He remembers promising to eat the little owl for lunch if it shat on his shoulder. If it shits in his hair, he'll skewer it with a toasting fork. I wanted to ask if you fancied going for a drink after we're done at the Palace of Westminster, but, he gestures to his owl, it's a bit far from Malfoy Manor to hear. Potter blinks at him, his eyes flickering between him and the owl. You came to ambush me in my local park to save your owl a flight. It is a very small one, Draco says defensively, and he bats at the owl to dislodge it. There's only so long he can suffer the insult to his dignity, and besides, there are other people approaching, and he doesn't want to be mocked by muggles. Potter, for some reason, laughs. And then he blushes. Um, a drink? he asks dubiously. Just you and me? I'm sure we can find somewhere that does tea, Draco replies sarcastically, which makes Potter raise his eyebrows. And too late, Draco remembers that today's Potter doesn't know that he knows that Potter is all but obsessed by the warm drink. All their meetings so far certainly seem to have been drenched in the stuff. Or gin, he adds quickly. Potter snorts. So, let me get this straight. You're lurking in my local park, in the company of an owl even smaller than Ron's pig, which I didn't believe possible. So you can spring out at me and ask me to drink gin with you. Or tea, Draco says, because this is all too absurd, and Potter's babbling about Weasleys and pigs is not helping the situation. Well, will you? I, um, yeah, okay, Potter says. It's not exactly a hearty yes, and he's nibbling at his lip and going red, but Draco supposes it will do. I'd better be off, then. See you there? Potter nods, distractedly. He looks, overall, a bit like he's been hit by a stunning spell, and Draco tries not to clench his jaw. He supposes that his invitation is, as far as Potter's concerned, a bit on the sudden side. And, 
and a bit on the date side, too, it suddenly strikes him. Does Potter think Draco's asked him on a date? Surely not. Draco rises from the bench, checks that no muggles are looking, and apparates to the public gardens alongside the Palace of Westminster, before Potter can notice the way his face is suddenly flaming. Even his ears are burning. He needs to pull himself together before he enters the building, in case... in case of what he doesn't know. His father won't arrive early. He never does. That's the thing with the time loop. Nothing ever changes, unless he decides to set it on a different course. He set things on a different course today, all right, he thinks with some alarm. But then logic and reason prevail. Not even Potter is dim enough to think that Draco has just asked him on a date. It would be the most unlikely thing in the history of existence. After all, Potter doesn't know that Draco knows about the Finch-Fletchley revelation. As far as Potter's concerned, Draco believes him to be straight as an arrow. And... And Draco is Draco. Bitter though it is for him to accept, he just can't think of a scenario where such an advance would be welcome. If Potter had thought Draco was asking him on a date, he wouldn't have said yes. Draco finds the whole thing curiously disheartening, and by the time he enters the Lord's chamber and sits down, he's decided to just do the long version of his speech to fuck Potter off, cancelling the whole sorry business. It's unlikely, after all, that Potter will fail to walk out. This time, he'll probably walk out quicker. But then, he looks across the chamber to where Potter is sitting, and Potter smiles at him. It's a slightly awkward smile, and he soon looks away, but it's such an unusual thing. Potter smiling at him in public that he changes his mind again, his resolve stiffening. Even if the whole thing is a disaster, and it's bound to be, really, what's the worst that can happen? The first chance Draco has to speak to Potter is during pre-dinner drinks. There are several breaks during the day, including a quick one for a sandwich lunch, but he never manages to squeeze through the crowds to get to Potter, who's surrounded by people. Even the muggles seem bewitched by him. It's fucking irritating, and Draco feels a familiar rumble of jealousy in his stomach. Although, to be fair, Draco himself isn't exactly unpopular today. He can't move two steps without being hailed by a muggle or a wizard, wanting to congratulate him on his speech or compliment him on the day's events so far. At the drinks, though, Potter himself seems determined to make his way across the room, muttering polite excuse-me's to his fellow guests and all but elbowing past people to come talk to Draco. Weasley, Draco is pleased to see, is all but rooted to the spot with horror across the room, while Granger, next to Weasley, catches his eye and gives him a very knowing, annoying look. So knowing and annoying that he has to look away. Draco feels his heart speed up as Potter approaches. What the hell does he want? He's not going to cancel on him, is he? Hello, Malfoy, Potter says blandly, taking a sip from his nearly empty glass. A wine waiter swoops by and tops him up. Potter is, Draco realizes, already lightly oiled. Forget something, did you? Potter continues, raising his eyebrows meaningfully. Draco considers this, taking a discreet look down at himself to check his robe isn't rucked up in an embarrassing way. And he did give his speech, didn't he? Yes, he can remember it quite distinctly. It was bland and tedious in the extreme. No, I don't think so, he says confidently. We arranged to go for our drink after the event, Potter, not during. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten you. Potter rolls his eyes. Thanks for your concern, Malfoy, but I'm talking about something else. Very small, cute but annoying, feathered. Draco blinks at him, puzzled, and then it hits them. The fucking little owl! He left it with Potter when he fled the park. Surely the stupid thing could have flown back to the manor to wait for him, though. He opens his mouth to say so, but a thought strikes him. Does this mean Potter kept the owl? And if so, why? 
This is the point where you say, Thank you for looking after my owl, Harry, because you knew how concerned I was about it flying long distances, Potter says meaningfully. Oh. Oh! Of course. He'd pretended the little bastard couldn't fly that far, and that was the reason he was hanging about the park. Draco puts on a concerned expression. Gosh, yes, thank you, Potter. You've saved my owl's life. Potter's taken another drink of wine, and he splutters at this, and has a small coughing attack. Don't be a dick, Malfoy, he says. I'm not, Draco protests, smirking. It's not funny, Potter says with some heat. Your owl's a menace. It wouldn't leave me alone, and it kept landing on my head and trying to groom my hair. Don't say it, Malfoy, he adds in a warning tone. But your hair looks so good today, Draco drawls. It's both true and untrue. It looks the same ruffled mess as usual, but Potter's wearing the same sharp suit with green shirt as before, although he seems to have abandoned the cape somewhere, and the sight of him is doing odd things to Draco's insides. Yeah, fuck you too, Potter says, in a friendly tone, and that makes Draco laugh. Don't worry, I'll keep the little pest safe until you collect him. Thanks, Draco says, and is surprised that this time he actually means it. Potter may be misguided. There's no reason why the little owl couldn't make the long journey, and if Potter had half a brain cell, then he'd realize it too. But his concern is revoltingly touching. Maybe, Draco's heart sinks a little. Potter's concern is solely for the owl, though, with no consideration that it's Draco's owl. Maybe his heart bleeds for owls, and, unbeknownst to Draco, he's just about to set up a sanctuary for mistreated birds, and is possibly considering Draco's owl his first inmate. Why are you looking at me that way? Potter says suspiciously, taking another sip of wine, and accepting a top-up from a passing wine waiter. What way? Like, like, you can't decide whether to pat me on the head, or push me off Westminster Bridge later. I'm a good swimmer, he adds firmly, just so you know. He takes another drink. Where are we going later, then? This is a good point, and one Draco had forgotten to consider. I have no idea, he says honestly. It was a spur-of-the-moment invite. Yes, I definitely got that idea, Potter says with heavy irony. It was the stalking and lurking near my house that clued me in. Ha fucking ha. Where would you like to go? Draco asks, taking the moral high ground. Somewhere where we're not on show, Potter says, wrinkling his nose as he looks around the room. It's certainly true that many, if not all, eyes are on them. Draco wouldn't be surprised if half of the wizards were secretly taking notes. The room is seated with press, and while he can't see Rita Skeeter, that doesn't mean she's not there. Besides, she's very much not the only journalist around. Draco tries not to sigh, as the inevitable strikes him. Any wizarding place they could go to would be too well attended. Probably half the wizarding world would follow them there. So unless he takes Potter to the manor, and he dismisses that idea even as he has it, it's going to have to be a muggle venue. It doesn't matter either way, the time loop will simply erase any salacious story, but the evening will be a washout if Potter feels harassed. Draco leans forward, bending in towards Potter's ear, and Potter leans into him, swaying slightly. He smells warm and fresh, and Draco breathes him in before he realizes that that is fucking creepy. Somewhere muggle, then, he says, keeping his voice low. Your choice. And he pulls back, taking a gulp from his own glass of wine. He hasn't drunk much, but now he feels the need of a bracer. Really? Potter says, raising his eyebrows. He's gone pink from the wine. Draco nods reluctantly. You bring a change of clothes? No, Draco says. Why? Potter grins. Robes are a bit eye-catching in the muggle world. Aren't you wearing anything under yours? 
Draco tries not to color. He has his boxers on, of course. He's traditional, but not that traditional. And a light vest, but anything more than that would spoil the way the delicate fabric falls. That's none of your concern, Potter. Let the muggles look. They will see what style truly is. Potter grins even wider. Okay, Malfoy, fair enough, he says, in a way that leaves Draco feeling distinctly unsettled. Happily, though, the gong goes for dinner, before Potter can speculate any further on what may or may not be under Draco's robes. Are we sitting together? Potter asks. Draco shakes his head. You're with Granger and Weasley, though. Mm, okay. See you after, then, Potter says, turning to make his way through the crowd and towards his friends. Draco watches him go for a moment, then shakes himself and gets back to work ushering people in the direction of the private member's restaurant within the palace that his father has booked for their exclusive use this evening. He still technically has a job to do, helping the event run smoothly, despite the futility of it all, so he might as well do it as not. The Muggle pub is not what Draco expects. It's almost exactly the same as a wizarding pub. In fact, it's nicer than many of the establishments Draco's visited. It's not old and dingy like the Leaky Cauldron, or full of kids like the three broomsticks in Hogsmeade during term time. The decoration is fresh and vibrant, and the place is packed with adults in their twenties and thirties. The music playing in the background is soft and sophisticated. Draco tries to feel grown up and refined, like he goes to places like this all the time. Potter leads the way through the main bar and outside onto a decked area next to the river. It's a warm evening, hot for June, and although the place is just as packed outside as in, Potter wends through the crowd like someone used to it and pounces on the last empty table. Sit and save me a seat while I get the drinks in. Potter says, and Draco does, climbing awkwardly into the pub bench. There's a downside to robes after all, it seems. He's attracted a few glances, but most people seem too absorbed in their own conversations to pay much attention to him. What would you like? Draco senses that fire whiskey would not be a wise answer. Don't mind. What you're having, he says, shrugging, and Potter vanishes back inside the building, leaving Draco alone in a sea of drunk muggles. He sits and watches the river, trying not to feel awkward and Potter seems to be gone an age. But eventually he returns with two overflowing pint glasses filled with dark liquid. Old Peculia, Potter says, setting them down and only managing to spill a tiny amount. What? Old Peculia, Potter repeats. It's the name of the beer, Malfoy, he clarifies, rolling his eyes as he sits down opposite him. Malfoy wonders about the wisdom of drinking beer after wine and takes a dubious sip. The beer is rich and deep and strong. It's delicious but he thinks that if he drinks too much of it, he'll fall over. Though he supposes he's sitting down, so what's the harm? He takes a long drink, and when he looks up, Potter's already got through half a pint. There's foam on his top lip. Merlin, I needed that, Potter says. No offense, Malfoy, but I'd pretty much have rather been doing anything than today. Draco indicates Potter's foam mustache, and Potter draws the back of his wrist over his mouth, wiping it off with a faintly embarrassed grin. I thought you liked that sort of unity shit. I like the unity, but that was politics. It winds me up. Self-important wizards making deals with self-important muggles to make the world a slightly crappier place. I don't know. Potter shrugs. Nothing's been what I expected this past year. Oh? Potter shoots him a look. Don't push it, Malfoy. I'm not in the mood. Draco dismisses anything regarding the war or the last year as possible topics of conversation and draws a complete blank. They could spend the next couple of hours talking about the little bastard of an owl, he supposes, or... What shall we talk about then, he asks sweetly, passing the conversation quaffle to Potter. Potter looks briefly panicked. 
I, uh, oh. He drains his glass and then rises. Draco wonders if he's fucking off already and feels extremely peeved. I'll get another round in, shall I? I don't suppose you have any muggle money. Draco does, but the different coins and notes confuse him, and he's happy to let Potter take the lead. Besides, maybe one of them will be able to think of a safe topic of conversation while Potter's at the bar. Potter returns in about ten minutes, and this time he's not just carrying two pints on a tray, but also awkwardly clutching a selection of brightly colored boxes under his arm, which he sets on the table. He slides Draco's pint over. He hasn't finished his first yet, but he takes a long draft to catch up, and sits. Draco raises an eyebrow. Potter takes one of the boxes, this one a small one, and withdraws a pack of cards from it. Board games, he says. The pub has them for customers to borrow. We could play something. What card games do you know? After Draco has boggled for a bit, it soon becomes clear that the only card game they both know the rules for is Snap. Playing with a muggle deck of cards is just like playing Exploding Snap, Potter explains. Except, boring, Draco interrupts. Potter clearly pretends he hasn't heard this, shuffling the cards and dealing them out between them. Draco takes a drink of beer. Maybe if he's drunk, and he already feels well on the way, this will be less painful. Potter starts, and Draco plays a card. Back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back. Snap! Potter yells wildly, slamming down his hand on the cards and taking the pile with a smug smile. Yes, okay, maybe it's not painful as such, Draco thinks, as the back and forth continues, and he watches the cards more closely when... Snap! Potter yells again, just before Draco reacts. It's not painful so much as fucking annoying, Draco concludes, filled with competitive rage at the idea that Potter might win the childish game. The next time the cards match, Draco yells, Snap! and nearly knocks over his beer in his haste to win the cards, which he does, but only just. Potter's already thwacking his hand down, and he slaps Draco's hand so hard it hurts. Sorry, Potter says, withdrawing his hand quickly, but not sounding sorry. Yes, sorry you're so slow, Draco says, and enjoys the way Potter's eyes light up with his own competitive rage. It's war now, and it wages on for a good ten minutes, as each time Draco thinks he's getting somewhere, Potter rallies and takes back a quantity of cards. Finally, though, Draco is victorious, and he lets out a yell of triumph, subsiding in embarrassment when some of the other patrons of the pub start laughing and clapping. When he looks over at Potter, though, Potter's laughing too. My hand fucking hurts, you bastard, Potter says pleasantly. Look! and he holds it out as if to show off his injuries. Poor, poor potty, Draco says sardonically, taking it and examining it. It looks like a hand. Slightly red, yes, but otherwise undamaged. Let Draco kiss it better. Potter flinches at that, but doesn't pull his hand away, and Draco, unsure what to do now, thinks he might as well. So he raises Potter's hand to his mouth and kisses his palm. Potter clears his throat, and Draco releases his hand taking refuge in his beer, unable to look up. Shall, shall we have a rematch, or play something else? Potter asks eventually, his voice thick. When Draco looks up, Potter is rummaging through the other boxes he's brought. There's Monopoly, or Snakes and Ladders, or Chess, but it's Ron who's good at that. I think I've had too much booze to concentrate properly on it. Not the snakes. Draco's had enough of snakes. Monopoly, he asks. But Potter takes this as a suggestion and packs away the other games in a neat pile, opening up the Monopoly box and explaining the rules. Draco gets the hang of it quickly. It's a property speculation game, and he's good at negotiations and deals. He's going to destroy Potter. An hour and another beer later, he's not so sure. You've landed on Mayfair, and I have a hotel, so you owe me two thousand pounds, Potter says smugly. 
Draco looks at his pile of imitation muggle money and wonders whether if he cheats, Potter will notice. Look, over there, he says. I'm not falling for that, Potter says, grinning, and holds out his hand. Cough up, Malfoy, unless you admit defeat. This makes Draco falter, and Potter rolls his eyes. You know I didn't mean it like that, Potter says. It, back then, you know, it wasn't you versus me. It wasn't personal. Malfoy glowers. It felt personal, he says, because it's the truth in a way. It felt personal, right up to the point where Potter all but forgot he existed. And that was worse, because back when Potter was stalking him at school, then that meant he was important. And then suddenly, he wasn't. He was less than important. He was nothing. And whether he was on Potter's side or against him didn't matter any more in the grand scheme of things. Come on, Malfoy, Potter says awkwardly. You were a tosser at school, you have to admit. He holds up a hand to halt Draco's reply. Not saying I wasn't one too. Do we really have to do this? Yes, Draco says with some heat. Potter sighs and sits back, folding his arms. Go on, then. What? What do you mean? Well, I don't want to. Honestly, I'm sick of talking about the war. I can't go five minutes with Hermione, or Ron, or Professor McGonagall, or Mrs. Weasley, or anyone, really, putting their head on one side and looking at me with concern and asking if I'm okay. Honestly, I mean, I only died for a few minutes. It's not like I stayed dead. I wish they'd all shut up. So if you want to rehash it all again, feel free, but don't count on me to join in. You died? Draco asks, thinking, what the actual fuck? It's like every time he speaks to Potter, Potter casually reveals something ground-shaking that Draco feels he really ought to have known. He slept in a cupboard. He never got any presents. He fucking died and came back to life. Potter groans. Yes, well, no, sort of. He shrugs. I chose to come back, anyway. You chose to come back, Draco repeats dumbly. I think it's time for you to get the drinks in, Potter says firmly. Draco rises and goes into the bar, fumbling with his muggle money and managing not to embarrass himself, although there are a few snide comments about his dress, and he struggles very hard not to hex the muggles in mass. He carries the drinks back through the crowd and sets them on the table in front of Potter without spilling a drop. Potter, I... Two thousand pounds, Malfoy, Potter says. Okay, never let it be said that he can't take a hint. Draco looks at his pile of Monopoly money. There's no way he can afford that. He has about thirteen pounds left. You're a Gryffindor, he says loftily. There's no way you'd bankrupt me. You're far too noble for that. Potter relaxes, grinning. Try me. Draco mortgages himself to the hilt and limps on for a few more turns around the board before he finally has to admit he's lost. I still won the first game, though, he says with a sniff, when Potter does an undignified victory dance and hides his face with his pint. He's feeling quite woozy now and wonders how he's going to safely apparate home. He'd prefer to arrive with all his limbs. Okay, I declare a draw, Potter says, and takes a long drink. For now. He looks at his watch. Shit, it's late. We'd better dash if we're going to make the last train. Draco wrinkles his nose. Train? Potter nods. Friends don't let friends apparate drunk. He slurs, and then adds. Sides, aren't you going to come and pick up your owl? Draco realizes that Potter is asking him to come home with him, and the thought makes him color. From, it feels like, head to toe. He hopes that the darkness surrounding them is enough to conceal it. The decking area of the pub is only softly lit, and they've turned on some kind of outdoor heaters to combat the faint chill of the late evening air. It's summer, but it's only June, after all. 
Potter rises, draining the remnants of his pint. So Draco does the same, and then follows Potter out of the pub. Outside, the unheated air hits him like an aguamenti, and he realizes he's pretty drunk. Potter is drunk too, though, and the thought makes him laugh, that they're drunk together, him and Potter, and he's about to get a muggle train to Potter's muggle house, and... And then what? You feeling okay, Draco? Potter says, peering at him. Come on, this way. Soon they're entering Westminster Underground Station, and Potter buys him a ticket and shows him where to put it so he can go through the barrier. It would be humiliating, but Potter's grinning and swaying, and Draco finds he doesn't mind all that much. Besides, there's no reason why Draco should be au fait with this stuff, is there? Even muggle lovers tend not to actually hang out in muggle spaces, choosing to demonstrate their love from a fucking enormous distance. They descend a moving staircase, and how the hell that works without magic, Draco has no idea. And then another, into what feels like the bowels of the earth. Though they're very metallic, shiny bowels, and Draco feels half-impressed despite himself. It's more high-tech than the Ministry Building, and the underground platform is equally shiny and metallic, although it's packed with drunken muggles cluttering up the sleek metal lines. The actual train journey isn't scary for someone who's a regular to the Gringotts vault, though Draco does feel uneasy at being so far underground and having to trust muggle architecture and engineering to keep the tons of soil off of his head. It's a relief when they change trains, and this next train soon rises up out of the earth to travel at ground level. Be about twenty minutes, Potter says, and grins at him. You don't need to hold on so tight. You're not going to die. Draco releases his grip on the pole next to his seat and tries to look relaxed and casual, like he does this all the time. It's not that he doesn't trust the muggle train to keep him safe, but... He scrabbles for something to say and lands on Quidditch. That should be nice and trouble-free. Potter's face lights up, and they're still talking tactics and teams when they get off the train. They're at Potter's local station, the one that Draco visited before, what feels like days ago now. Maybe it was days ago. He's losing track of where he is in time. Potter leads the way, and Draco lets him. He doesn't want to make it obvious that he knows exactly where Potter lives. The conversation trails off a little as they tackle the hill. Trust Potter to live so near its summit. Draco, despite his recent exercise, needs all his breath for his climb. But soon Potter's climbing the steps outside his front door and ushering Draco in. Will he offer tea, Draco wonders? Or will he offer tea? Would you like some tea? Potter says, leading the way down to his kitchen. Or... He opens up a cabinet and waves vaguely at it. There's some other drinks and stuff. Potter appears to have bought out an off-license. Muggle drinks sit side by side with wizarding booze. I'll have... But Potter's already got a couple of glasses and is pouring in over-generous measures of fire whiskey. Nightcap, he explains indistinctly, passing a glass over to Draco before swaying over to the kettle. He's using electricity, Draco realizes, and he wonders how much of Potter's house really is just muggle. Once Potter's brewed the tea, he passes a mug to Draco, and picking up his own mug in one hand and his whiskey in the other, indicates back up the stairs with his. Come on, he says. Draco follows with interest. Where's Potter taking him? Will he finally get to see more of Potter's house? The answer's yes. Potter leads him up a flight of stairs and through a door that opens into a massive room packed with sofas. There must be enough seating for thirty people. Potter plonks down his drinks on a coffee table near a large window overlooking the garden, and then sits down on an adjacent sofa with a relaxed sigh. Draco follows him and sits down beside him. Expecting company, he asks, raising his eyebrows. The room is a bit ridiculous. Potter looks faintly embarrassed and shrugs. It's good to have space for friends to come by, he says, and takes a large gulp of tea. 
He must have a fireproof tongue, Draco thinks, sipping at his own and trying to sober up. He doesn't like not feeling in control. You can fit a whole Quidditch team in here, he adds. And before Draco can add that that's not so many people, and is hardly impressive, Potter continues, I did, not too long ago. And he looks mournful. Draco tries not to pull a face, but he might as well get it over with. He doesn't want Potter going maudlin on him. And how is Miss Weasley? he says, bracingly. I hear you split up. Potter gives him a surprisingly sober, level look. Yes, he says. I dare say Hermione told you that as well. Draco isn't sure what to say to that, so he just says nothing. And I dare say she also told you that I've been dating men recently as well, he continues, the look turning harder. Draco twitches. Men? Plural? Potter's eyes widen. Fuck, he says. She didn't, did she? Fuck. Then tonight wasn't... Fuck. He lurches up. I'll just go and get you your owl, and then you can be on your... Potter, Draco says, head-spinning. Sit the hell back down and drink your tea. Potter does as asked, but he's red as a tomato, and he can't look Draco in the eye. The atmosphere is tense and scaly, and Draco finds himself saying, when he can't bear it any more, Right. Rematch time. Potter looks startled. What? Another round of snap. You have a set of cards? Well, yes. Potter says, eyes sliding to Draco's face and away. He wets his lips, and then Accio's a pack. It's Muggle again, Draco notices. Draco twitches the pack from Potter's fingers and slides down to sit on the floor, away from the table, dealing out the cards. Potter comes to sit in front of him on the carpet. He's brought his whiskey with him and takes a large swig, which makes him cough. Ready? Draco asks when the cards are dealt. And Potter nods. Draco plays, and Potter slides his card out with care, flipping it over at the last second and deflating when it's not a match. The game continues, and somehow, now they're completely plastered, even with the odd tension in the air, the game is much more fun. It's over quickly because Potter keeps pulling ridiculous faces to put Draco off, and Draco can barely move for laughing. Victory is mine, Potter says smugly, but I'll give you a chance to beat me if you're man enough. If he's man enough? Yes, he's man enough. They play again, and this time Potter cheats shamelessly, distracting Draco at vital moments and casting multiplication spells on the pile of cards beside him when he thinks Draco isn't looking. He wins again. One more time, Potter says, even though there's no way you can win. Draco decides that if Potter's going to play dirty, then he will too, and he's just deciding whether to full-body bind the fucker or cast Terence Allegra on him when Potter yells, Snap! Snap! Fucking snap! and Draco launches himself at the cards at the same time Potter does, ending up with Potter's hand trapped beneath his own. Potter's breathing very hard, and his hand is very warm, and they stay there for a frozen second or two, looking at each other. Potter attempts a smile. I think... Yes? Draco asks. I think you're really shit at snap, Potter says with an odd look on his face, as if he's lost his nerve, and Draco releases his hand to allow him to collect his cards. He can't help but notice that Potter's trembling, though, round the edges. I thought it was only Slytherins who cheated, Draco says, not Gryffindors. Then you never knew a Gryffindor properly, did you? Potter says, a touch crossly. We're not paragons of virtue. No, I can't say I've ever been friends with anyone from that house. Though, I'd like to be, Draco replies, trying not to wince at how cheesy that sounds. It must be the whiskey, which is forcing itself down his throat without permission. Whiskey on top of beer on top of wine is probably not the wisest of ideas all in all, but it's been one of those kinds of days. 
Potter's face flames. Do you actually mean that? he asks. Yes, Draco says, because it's true, and because he's drunk, and because Potter is gorgeous when he's squiffy, all pink and warm and soft, and Potter dates boys, and, and tonight is feeling pretty date-like if he thinks about it, which he's trying not to because he doesn't think he'll be able to bear the crashing disappointment if he's got the wrong end of the broomstick. He's spent so long thinking of Potter as completely unavailable that he's still finding it a challenge to believe he's not. It seems surreal and unlikely, as if it's a product of the time loop rather than reality. Potter grins a bit awkwardly. So you'll concede defeat to me? Of a snap, he quickly adds. Fuck's sake, you know what I mean. Draco raises an eyebrow. He seems to be doing that a lot this evening. But if he's not allowed to raise his eyebrow when he's drunk and in Harry Potter's house, he doesn't know when he is. Absolutely not, Potter, he says with a sniff. Play on. Oh yeah? Potter challenges. Draco grins and tosses out a card casually, which Potter counters. And and Potter only goes and lets him win, which is more infuriating than losing. So they play again, and again, and again, and by this point, Draco can barely remember who's winning, only that he's breathless from laughter, and so is Potter, and soon the cards are lying forgotten as they talk, about what they've been doing recently, about their hopes for the future, about, yes, about Justin fucking Finch Fletchley. It's nearly morning now, the dawn light spilling into the sitting room, and Potter yawns. It wasn't that I thought we were, you know, soulmates or anything, he says awkwardly. It was just nice to be myself. I mean, I still like girls, you know, he adds, but I like boys too. And he colors up. He's been blushing so much that Draco worries for the blood circulation to his feet. Hmm, Draco says. They're sitting on the floor, leaning up against the back of the sofa. Coffee table pushed out of the way. Potter's right hand is brushing the back of Draco's left, but he doesn't move it. And you? Potter asks casually. Are you... Do, do you... He trails off. Draco doesn't quite know how to answer this non-question. Is he dating? No, of course not. Malfoys don't date. They decide on their future spouse with the input of their parents, and then negotiate a settlement before announcing an engagement. His parents love each other very much, but it is a love born from long association, and a love that wouldn't have flourished if his mother had not been pure-blooded like his father. Or is Potter asking if he swings both ways? For some reason, Draco finds this infuriating. Can't Potter tell? What do you think? He asks, rather nastily. Potter looks taken aback, but he licks his lips and doesn't flinch. I... I think so, he says faintly. I hope so. Draco feels slightly sick. Somehow this is different from fooling around with fellow Slytherin dormitory mates to scratch an ever-present itch. This feels... Serious. The life-changing sort of serious. Would his parents... He tries to suppress the thought. He doesn't need to think about his parents right now, with Potter so delicious and unsure and... and willing, seemingly, right in front of him. But... He shrugs, and then, when Potter's face falls, finds himself saying, in a slightly arsy tone, It's not exactly unusual in wizarding society to have a, shall we say, flexible attitude to these things, Potter. Yes, okay, Potter says, a touch sharply. I didn't ask for a lecture. And he pulls his hand away from Draco's, tucking it into his lap with his left one. Bollocks. Draco reaches out and places a hand gingerly on Potter's arm. I didn't mean... Potter looks over at him, and his expression is raw, and something tightens in Draco's stomach. 
It's so late, it's early, and maybe that's why he thinks, fuck it, and leans in towards Potter, very slightly. Potter leans in, too, drawing a ragged breath, and their mouths are inches away from each other, and Draco's hand tightens on Potter's arm, pulling another breath from him. I, I, Potter says, swaying in slightly closer, and Draco can feel his breath, hot on his mouth, and if he just moves infinitesimally, then he'll bridge the gap, and he'll be kissing Potter, and Potter will be kissing him. He feels his groin tighten at the thought, and he pauses, savoring the moment, savoring the way Potter's breathing fast and heavy, and his eyelids have fluttered shut, and he's... The world twists and squeezes, and Draco blinks, disconcerted, and then sees in front of him his desk, with the time-turner glowing like a beacon. He's back in his room. Time has once again reset itself. Draco swears out loud. He's trembling, and he's not sure whether it's with heightened emotion or with anger. He tries to touch the time-turner, to fling it against the fucking wall, even though he knows it's fused to the wood, but even approaching it makes the world go odd and twisted, and he tears himself away, feeling sick to his stomach and trying not to retch. So instead, he casts a sound-muffling spell and pushes the whole desk over. It lands on its side with a satisfying crash, and his chair is the next to go, followed by, with some effort, his bed. It doesn't make him feel much better. He locks the door and doesn't leave his room all day, not even to pick up his little owl from the shop. He can't see the point. It wouldn't remember him anyway. He supposes his parents must have come by at some point to try to prize him from his room and make him do his speech, but if they do, he doesn't hear them. He's lost in his own head, and in the anger he feels at everything and everyone, but mostly himself. ETL Echo Echoing Tales of Enemies to Lovers